0: Welcome to episode number 100, Self-Worth and Identity. I am your host, Damon Soka. I hope that you are enjoying the podcast, and I also really hope that you will continue to spread the word. So this last week I found out that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints added a section to their self-reliance program called Finding Strength in the Lord – Emotional Resilience. Now I guess that this section was added not too terribly long ago. Somehow I missed its publication and announcement. Now, I took some time this last week to peruse the coursework and the sections. For the most part, I found the information interesting and helpful. Although, having suffered with mental illness most of my life, uh, most of the information I've heard before, there was one section where I realized that the material may not be entirely suited to those who suffer with mental illness, at least in the more moderate to severe forms and that the program might be structured more for individuals suffering mild to, let's call it, semi-moderate symptoms. The section is entitled, Our Thoughts Influence Our Emotions. And the section is exactly as the title reads. It reinforces the idea that changing our negative thoughts leads to better outcomes emotionally. I personally don't have any issue with thoughts directing our emotions, as I know they do, and this can and does lead to better outcomes, even for those who suffer more serious forms of mental illness. However, my concern was that it felt as though the material wanted to reinforce that our thoughts direct our emotions exclusively. Now, that I know is not accurate, meaning that as I have suffered mental illness and my episodes have commandeered my emotional state, Simply changing my thoughts rarely, if ever, changed my emotional state. I worry that sometimes outside forces that have not really experienced mental illness do not understand how difficult it is to think outside of the negative train of thoughts brought forth as a result of mental illness, depression, or anxiety. This idea and theory of thoughts controlling and determining our entire set of emotions I've been around the church and outside world for really as long as anyone has written about mental health. What I felt was missing in the discussion is the real-world experience of mental illness. As much as I have worked to change my thoughts, it rarely, if ever, has changed my emotional state. In fact, for me, it caused some pretty severe problems in my mental state. The rational side of me could work through the environmental conditions and know that I should not feel the way I do. But I continue to feel the depressed desires and emotions, no matter what I did rationally in my mind to change the thought patterns. Normally, my mind would fight the feelings of depression and anxiety, really, till it couldn't fight it any longer. And I would give in. What I'm trying to communicate in all of this is that often during episodes, the chemically-driven depressed state of mind one cannot change the emotional state of the mind simply by redirecting thoughts. And also that thoughts do not have complete control of our emotional state. And this is especially true when mental illness takes over. I think it's important for those who suffer that they understand that thoughts do not entirely control all of our emotions when we suffer with mental illness. And simply changing thought patterns it's probably not going to cure or even, for the most part, remove the overriding feelings of doubt, despair, and anxiety. It can help, but it can also be a source of serious frustration if you fully believe that you can simply change your thoughts and it will drive away your depression or anxiety. Now, given that rather long backstory, today I would like to work through how we perceive our self-worth. What makes you feel who you are? How do you feel about yourself? And even how do you perceive your value? We might find it calling our place where we fit in. Ultimately, throughout life, we are really consistently evaluating the idea of value imposed upon us by our social groupings. Now, when I say social groupings, I mean our immediate family, our friends, our peers, our online social group in various forms, our culture, our church membership, an award or a stake, really everywhere we interact with another human being. Needless to say, our value can be a complex equation based on the different social groupings and their individual requirements. Including in, Included in that valuation are the pressures cast upon us by others to behave, think, and feel in certain ways they deem acceptable. Now, because our various social groups are not likely to always agree on the standards... We must at times choose whose value is most important, or even change our valuation of ourselves based on who we are and our relationship with them. Now, so how do we determine our value once we have a basic understanding of the many unwritten and written rules of our social groups? Now, the answer is interesting and not as straightforward as one might hope. If I asked me to tell you your value, or how do you value yourself, what would you say? Most people are simply confused by the question. If I asked what is your value to society overall, what is your value to your family, what is your value to your work or school or church, the question is still difficult as our evaluation is not based on any definitive standards but really fluctuating social norms and family culture. Now the reality is that based on our environment only, we do not have a good grasp of our value. Now, that is because we often do not fully understand how we are being evaluated and our systems of feedback are going to be seriously flawed or limited. It's not like we have some form of standards-based evaluation where we can definitively determine the value we provide to any one of our social groups. We actually rely on subjective clues and cues to determine if we have value and what that value is. Now, nearly all of this feedback is going to be in various forms of verbal and a lot of nonverbal cues about our place in the social group and how we are perceived. Unfortunately, the information we receive is rarely direct, often misinterpreted, and really lacking substance. We must take a smile, a frown, and I love you, a good job, anger, frustration, and really every moment and word out of someone's mouth and attempt to interpret it as our value to the relationship or group. Now, there exist thousands of combinations, probably millions of combinations of words, facial expressions, body postures, that we must interpret to determine this value. The problem with all of this communication and interpretation is that we don't know what we don't know, meaning that we are not very good at interpreting our value from these cues. And we are often looking for meaning, validation, and feedback information from someone else when they are not speaking to us about it, meaning they are more concerned about themselves and their own value than communicating what our value might be. So we use limited information and poor interpretations to interpret our value that is critical to us feeling part of a group, and not just part, but contributing to the group or relationship. Now, because of this, we tend to have significant gaps of information in our evaluations. And, of course, the brain doesn't like missing gaps, as I have said before, and so it fills in what we don't know. So what we typically possess as our barometer of self-worth is a limited, often misinterpreted set of feedback we get from imperfect human beings who are probably more concerned about their own self-evaluation rather than giving you a clear evaluation of your own worth, meaning we often do not evaluate ourselves effectively or even truthfully or correctly. Now, I've discussed self-valuation or self-worth as though we are a computer running a program interpreting signals and assigning a value. However, that's really not the case. I'm sure that our brain runs some type of rational evaluation subconsciously, however, it is critical to understand that self-worth comes as a feeling, not a rational determination. We feel our worth more than we rationally determine it. This thing brings a whole new set of considerations when we talk about self-worth. We have to consider our own emotional state when we feel our self-worth. And as I have said before, our emotional state at, in, at any one point in time is truly our reality. It is hard for us to get outside of that reality. We don't separate our feelings of value from our overall feelings and emotional state. This is often why our self-worth fluctuates, even daily. So if you consider that we are interpreting limited information through our current lens of emotions, filling in missing blank banks of information, probably large gaps, and then forming our self-worth, one could see how that process might go awry and give us a truly false narrative about ourselves. Now, before we descend into the problems mental illness interjects in our lives in this evaluation, it's important that we look at self-worth through the lines of the gospel. Many, if not all of us, have heard this narrative. You are a son or daughter of heavenly parents who have potential to become like them, Gods in embryo. Although I prefer to think of us more as teenagers than embryos, especially considering our behavior and mortality and the significant amount of time we have existed and experience the world around us, both spiritually and temporally. Now, in addition to the potential we possess through our heavenly parents, our self-worth is also informed by our obedience to the knowledge and commandments we have received. We tend to lump worthiness and self-worth into the same category. And they do inform one another, so for now I'm going to leave it as that. However, to obtain our true value and knowledge of our worth, the rational words are going to have a have little effect, at least really upon our feelings. We need confirmation of the truth that we are God's teenagers. And we need to know that what we are doing and how we are living is acceptable to God. Now, not only do we need the truth and the confirmation, but as Alma said, do we feel so now? In other words, our value spiritually is something we must feel regularly, if not daily, this, of course, the purpose of the various small. Sp- this, of course, is the purpose of the various small things we do daily, to tap into the spiritual realm of conversation with the Spirit of the Lord. Now, without the Spirit, we will not feel worthy or valued within the boundaries of the church. Now, in addition to our knowledge and our daily confirmation, we exist within church societies, and we desire wholeheartedly, of course, to be of value to this group. Now, the church society can be and is often a strange environment. It should be the most accepting, loving, forgiving, and friendly environment in the world where we always feel accepted and valued, but it's governed by men and women who are really trying their best to find their own value and who are imperfect in many ways. So what should be the perfect society tends to become a clustered mix of traditions, imperfect worldly evaluations mixed with society's versions of worth and spiritual truth. Now I certainly do not fault people for this. The reality is, is church membership and award and a stake were always really meant to be this way. A group of individuals learning together and striving to do what they should, but really falling short in many ways. So it is not unusual that we find mixed feelings and value when we attend to meetings, activities, and relationships within the group. Now, what this produces as value is as mixed as its people. Now, I know many people, I know many people who have been disillusioned by this problem and wonder why they don't feel more valued in their ward or stake. I think for the most part, people come to the church to find value, and the problem is that most members are looking to others who are looking back at them to find this value. It is difficult for someone who is trying to find their place in value to give that value to others. The reality is is that you have to possess a reasonable self-worth to be able to look outside yourself to be able to give that to others. Most members of the church do not have sufficient understanding of their own value through the Spirit of the Lord to be able to give what they have to others. And so you have a great deal of members all looking for value from each other when they really don't possess enough self-worth to go forth and give that feedback to those around them. Also, a quick note before I move on to more mental illness types of things, individuals who tend to give negative feedback regularly and attempt to bring others to their level possess a low self-esteem and do not feel that they have value to extend to others, and so they will attempt subconsciously to bring others to their level. Now, let's consider adding all of the difficulties I've talked about self-worth and that I've already mentioned to that skewed process of mental illness, depression, anxiety, and bipolar, meaning let's possess an illness that seriously alters the lens by which we obtain and interpret our value and use that same set of feelings to produce a view of our value to our networks in the world. The answer is obvious, but I'm going to say it anyway. There is likely nothing true about a self-worth evaluation during an episode of mental illness. And I mean really nothing. You're going to feel worthless, rejected, seriously undervalued, and with little desire to change it. The problem with self-worth and an incorrect evaluation is that we use this self-worth all of the time in our lives to determine where we go, what we do, how well we do it where we desire to get involved and even to determine our own spiritual natures and how we should worship or whether we should worship our Father and Savior in this life. Self-worth is critical to motivation, faith, and progression. We have to know that we are in a path acceptable to God before we can really move towards Him, and we have to know that we are on, a pa- on that path regularly. Also, it is important to note that nearly all value created by our societies and by worldly pursuits is fleeting and it's going to end. To be greatly valued by the world holds no real value in the Lord's kingdom and that is simply because the standards by which the world evaluates are false and really without merit. Mental illness then really causes us to be cut off from those feelings we need to confirm our value with the Lord on a daily basis. The spirit is difficult to hear over all the other voices in our minds and our depressed and anxious or even mania feelings are the lens by which we are going to determine our value. Anyone who has experienced mental illness, in the least, understands that emotions brought forth by the illness are not determined by our thoughts or our environment for the most part. The force of negative, consistent, paralyzing feelings is really a chemistry problem, where we feel darkness, negativity, and loss of value on a consistent basis without really the ability to address it by ourselves. The same can be true in mania in that we might feel great value and overconfidence, but that value is also false and does lead to acting in ways contrary to gospel standards. So the truth of the matter is that during our episodes, we are going to feel worthless, sinful, and most often of little value to anyone, including the Lord, when it comes when it comes to feeling depression and anxiety. And there will be little we can do to change our feelings as they are not necessarily thought-driven, but more chemistry-driven. This doesn't mean that we can't use good thought patterns to avoid a deep dive into the darkened world. What it does mean is that mental illness will always give one a sense of worthlessness and a self-worth that needs consistent nourishment from outside sources to even reach a minimum, minimum level. For most of us, this doesn't happen Because for someone to be able to nourish us in this way, they themselves must have a good sense of their self-worth and value in terms of the spiritual and of the Lord. We unfortunately find so few individuals that possess this type of self-worth in any real quantity to help others. So what do we do then? And how do we feel worthy and of value to the society and the Lord when we have mental illness? The first answer is that relying on the world for value is not going to provide any true value. There will, be accept, there will be accepting people who will provide for value and self-worth, but often they do not possess a true value of themselves, but a worldly one, and they impart value through their own sense of false value. The image of that great and spacious building with no foundation really, to me, gives a wonderful picture of what I mean. For them, the building, which is their value, feels real and solid, but the reality is that they have built their esteem upon things that will eventually crumble and fall. We simply must be careful to avoid worldly valuations or at a minimum, try to see them for what they are. Two, true self-esteem and value come only from the Lord, and most often that value comes from personal revelation. Now, true value in a sense of self-worth is a two-way communication with the Lord through the Spirit as to our spiritual standing. Uh, This is what we need, what we must seek to find true and lasting value in our lives. During an episode, this communication is going to be difficult, if not impossible, and we are likely to rely upon another for a true understanding of our value. We must be very careful who we choose and whose information we accept as truth now, I realize that when we are in the moment of difficulty, in the moment of distress, we will reach for anything that will tell us we have value, and it will be difficult to distinguish between the worldly admiration and value and the spiritual. And so we should really avoid making serious changes based on value found during our episodes. And yes, this is far easier than to say than to do, but understanding that what we feel as value is false rationally can be at least a little helpful to us during those dark moments. Three, we must be careful not to consider the wonderful church members our the wonderful church members our own barometer of value. Most church members are learning and trying to understand spiritually who they are and where they stand with the Lord, and their cues to us as to our value are really only a measure of their own self esteem. So rather than provide us Provide to us what our true value is, most often they are subtly telling us how they feel about their own personal relationship with the Lord. We should be discerning and careful about any message of our value outside of personal revelation. Now, of course, personal revelation can't come from other people, but it must be confirmed by the Lord. Finally, while our minds and bodies are very attuned to what the world and our church society thinks of us, We should do our best to avoid listening too much. My experience is that most of the cues, clues, and even direct information we get from other human beings is faulty, not accurate, or extremely unhelpful due to their own problems with self-esteem. I have found that most individuals that surround us do not possess sufficient self-esteem to extend true self-esteem to others and effective feedback. In fact, I've really found very, very few who do. I think it's important that we are aware of this problem and that we do what we can to avoid taking into our hearts and minds their evaluations, especially when those evaluations are far more worldly than spiritual. I personally have found the Lord to be loving, forgiving, kind, understanding, and pretty much always positive when it comes to our self-esteem. This doesn't mean he does not send us the chastising moment, but even in that moment, his words are encouraging. I have also found that my personal evaluation of my value and self-esteem is far lower than the Lord's, typically far lower than the Lord's value of me and my potential. When we truly come to understand our true standing and value with the Lord, we will find great comfort and happiness in the Lord's evaluation of our lives. And we will feel truly valuable to the Lord, to those around us, and to our society. And we will not be concerned with what others think of our value, but providing value to others. Now may you find this wonderful feeling of value in your life and may you do your part so that the Lord can do his. Until next week.